at Matthew 27.57 and go through to 28.15. As evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. Going to Pilate, he asked him for Jesus' body, and Pilate ordered that it be given to him. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in clean linen cloth, and placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut out of the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there opposite the tomb. The next day, the one after preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was alive, that, that deceiver said, after three days, I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he has been raised from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. Take a guard, Pilate answered, go. Make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were as white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him, they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women, women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, You are to say, his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. Father in heaven, we do want to thank you for the scriptures and we thank you for uh, the, 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 the scriptures speak to us so plainly, so clearly of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And so Father, we pray now that you'd help us to understand that uh, better and clearer and uh, grant that we would be people who put our trust in Jesus. And we ask these things in his name. Amen. Uh, the resurrection of Jesus is one of the central teachings of the whole of the Bible. In fact, uh, the Bible says that if Jesus did not actually rise from the dead, then we don't have any hope that the, the Christian faith actually has no hope to offer. 
So we might as well just eat and drink and be merry and live it up because this is it. There ain't anything more to existence than this life unless Jesus has risen from the dead. It's a central doctrine. It's one of the key uh, non-negotiable teachings of the Bible. But over the years, many people have tried to explain away the resurrection and say, well, it didn't actually happen. Uh, For example, some people say that Jesus did not actually die on the cross. That uh, what actually happened, they say, is that he he lost consciousness and uh, they thought he was dead. They put him in a tomb, but he regained consciousness. In the cool of the uh, the tomb, he... uh, came back to consciousness and was able to roll away the stone and appear that he had uh, uh, gave the appearance that he had conquered death but in fact he'd never died in the first place but on good friday we saw that crucifixion is a really really dreadful way to die and that the the damage that crucifixion does to the body is unspeakable And so the idea that Jesus unwrapped the clothes that had been bound around his body, uh, rolled away this massive stone, walked past the soldiers, uh, walked for miles and looked like he had conquered death, well, it's just fantasy. Uh, Jesus would have needed urgent medical attention if that were the case. Other people say that Jesus did die and that he was buried but that the disciples stole his body from the tomb. And then they lied and told everyone that he had risen from the dead. Now, I'm not sure why they would do that, given that for some of them, they were actually killed because they preached the resurrection of Jesus. And so it's hard to see why they would preach resurrection, knowing that it it was false, uh, if in fact that led to their own execution. But it's one way that people use to explain away the Bible's teaching on the resurrection. And it's actually the oldest argument against the resurrection of Jesus that there is. In fact, uh, it's an argument which we find uh, even in today's passage. Uh, You might want to have your Bibles open in Matthew's Gospel. Today we're going to be looking at Matthew 27 and 28. But I want us to start by looking at some of what Jesus taught himself uh, about his, uh, his resurrection and the, the, the promises that he gave that he would be resurrected. So, for example, if you go to Matthew chapter 16, if you care to hope, open that in your Bibles, Matthew chapter 16, in verse 21, uh, we're told that from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. So this is what Jesus taught his disciples. Um, Have a look over at chapter 17, verse 22. There it says, When they came together in Galilee, he said to them, The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men, They will kill him, and on the third day he will be raised to life. Go over the page to to chapter 20, uh, chapter 20, verse 18, uh, where it says, Jesus 
taught them, he said, We are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will turn him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And on the third day, he will be raised to life. You get the message here? That uh, Jesus has actually been saying this throughout his ministry, throughout that part of his ministry, teaching people about his death and his resurrection. But the question is, did the disciples actually believe him? Did they really expect that Jesus would rise from the dead? Did they even remember what he taught? Now, we can see something of what the disciples expected by looking at how his followers behaved after his death. Uh, Their behaviour after his death should teach us what they were expecting. Now, first of all, in today's passage, if you care to have that open in chapter 27, uh, the end part of chapter 27, first of all, we come come across Joseph of Arimathea. And uh, we meet him in chapter 27, verses 57 to 61. So let me just read that for you. Verse 57, it says, As evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who himself had become a disciple of Jesus. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body and and Pilate ordered that it be given to him. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut out of the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and went away. And Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there opposite the tomb. Now, Joseph was one of the religious leaders. He, was, he actually belonged to the, the Sanhedrin, which was the, the Jewish ruling council. And what that means is that Joseph was actually present in the council meeting when they made the decision to have Jesus killed. Now, uh, he voted no to that motion. Uh, He was opposed to the killing of Jesus because secretly he was in fact a disciple of Jesus. How about that? How about that? Within the ruling council, within the Sanhedrin, was a disciple. Now normally it would take several days for a man to die on a cross. Uh, Crucifixion is a slow, painful death. Uh, that uh, happens, as we talked about on Friday, because uh, the person's body slumps and their, their lungs are crushed and they need to press upwards with, upwards with their legs in order to uh, enable their, their, their lungs to, to function. And after some time, they would just get too tired and they'd either have a cardiac arrest or they'd, they'd just give up pushing and they would asphyxiate. That's how it normally took a few days for that to happen, such as the desire to cling on to life but the Jews wanted the bodies down on the same day uh, before 6pm Friday and the reason for that was that 6pm Friday well that was when the Sabbath began and uh, they couldn't have the uncleanness of these bodies hanging uh, during the Sabbath And so that's why the Romans went around breaking the legs of the... They broke the legs of the two criminals that were 
crucified alongside Jesus so that they couldn't push upwards with their legs and therefore they would asphyxiate uh, much quicker. But when they came to Jesus, they didn't need to do that because Jesus was already dead. He had given up his spirit already. Jesus was very much in control of his own death. And so in verse 58, Joseph applied to Pilate to allow him to bury Jesus. Now, Joseph was a rich man, and a rich man's term was a term which would would be cut into the side of uh, of a a rock face. It it had a small outer entrance, uh, which you could walk through to get to the main part of the tomb. And the main part of the tomb would be closed off by a large uh, disc-shaped rock, which would be able to be rolled into place. Now, uh, in Isaiah chapter 53, Isaiah had prophesied that the Christ, the, the Lord's anointed one, that he would be uh, buried with the rich in his death. And so we see that that is fulfilled here. But before Joseph entombed Jesus, he wrapped his body in cloths, and that was a big job. Uh, we know from John's Gospel that he didn't do it by himself, that he actually worked with one of his colleagues, Nicodemus, another Jewish religious leader, uh, to, uh, to wrap the body of Jesus up. And inside the cloths, they would have wrapped about 34 kilograms of myrrh and aloes. That's a big job to do. It's a, you'd only do it uh, if you thought that it was over, <laughs> that he was dead. Uh, Joseph was not expecting resurrection. If he was expecting resurrection, he wouldn't have done what he's done. What about the women? In verse 61, we're told that the two Marys were there when Jesus was buried. And uh, in chapter 28, verse 1, on Sunday, they went back to the tomb. Uh, John's Gospel tells us that they also took spices with them in order to preserve the body. And so were they expecting resurrection? Again, it doesn't look like it, does it? What about the 11 disciples? Um, Jesus had told them directly that he would be raised from the dead. But if they believed that resurrection was going to happen, where would you expect them to be waiting? You'd expect them to be waiting right outside the tomb, wouldn't you? Jesus had told them at least three times that on the third day he'd be raised from the dead. You'd expect them to be waiting there for the resurrection, but no. In John chapter 20, we're told that they'd actually gone into hiding, that they were in a, in a room that was uh, securely locked, very, very clearly locked, because they were in fear of their very lives. Now, what we see, friends, here is that the followers of Jesus were not actually waiting for resurrection to happen or believing it. Not even the eleven. Shattered, frightened, they were not even thinking about resurrection. But the disciples were not the only ones who had been informed about the resurrection beforehand. I wonder if you could flick back a few pages to Matthew chapter 12, just for a moment. Matthew chapter 12, pick it up at verse 38. In verse 38... Jesus is there with some of the religious leaders. 
And it says, Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, Teacher, we want you, we want to see a miraculous sign from you. He answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a miraculous sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. How long would the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth? Only three days and three nights. Right? So here is a hint uh, to the religious leaders of resurrection. But it seems that they knew more than that. Uh, it may be that they've heard more about Jesus' teaching through the traitor, Judas. And so they went to Pilate. And if we take a look at verse 63 of chapter 27, have a look at that. Uh, in verse 63, they're with Pilate, who is the Roman governor. And they say, Sir, they said, we remember that while he was alive, that deceiver said, after three days I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he has been raised from the dead. And this deception will be worse than the first. They were worried, weren't they? They were worried. Uh, they thought that the disciples would be all geared up, all ready to, uh, to, to, to go to that tomb and to steal the body and to claim that resurrection has happened. And so they asked Pilate to secure the tomb, uh, to secure it and also put guards on the tomb. And that's what's happened. Now, I want us to think about this for a few moments because... Of all of the players in this drama, who were the ones who actually remembered what Jesus had said about resurrection? It wasn't the disciples, was it? It was his enemies. They were the only ones who remembered what he taught about resurrection. And so in verse 65, Pilate assigns soldiers to secure the tomb, Roman soldiers the best trained, the best equipped, the most effective soldiers in the world. And yet even they were no match for what was about to happen, the resurrection. It was sunrise, Sunday morning. In chapter 28, verse 2, there was a violent earthquake because an angel came from God. And he looked like lightning and he was dressed in white. And by rolling back the stone, he revealed that Jesus was not there. Now, the, the soldiers were scared stiff by this. Have a look at verse 4. In verse 4, the guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. Now, there's a play on words that we can't actually see in the English. Uh, it's in the original Greek. And it's this, that the word shook uh, actually has the same root word as the word earthquake. Uh, it's, it's the word seismos. Uh, get, the, get the picture? You see, 
there's a seismic activity that's taking place here. And it wasn't just the earth that was quaking. It was the soldiers, an angel, an empty tomb. These soldiers had their own personal earthquake at this moment. This was not a good time for them. Uh, the women were there too. They had gone to preserve the body with spices. But in verse 6, the angel told them, he's not here. He's risen. Come and see where he lay. Can you imagine how they felt? Imagine someone you loved has just died and been buried. You've gone through the, you're going through the grief of all of that and then you're told that the person's actually alive. Imagine the, the conflict of emotions. Uh, it's unimaginable. In verse 8, they were afraid, yet they were filled with joy. They were fearful, but yet they were joyful all at the same time. And then in verse 9, that which they did not expect occurred. In verse 9, suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and what did they do? They worshipped him. Now, there is only one person that a Jew can worship. And here we see that confronted by the resurrected Christ, these women acknowledge Jesus for who he is, and that is God. God alone is worthy of worship. But the same could not be said for the religious leaders in terms of their response. In verses 11 through to 15, the soldiers uh, went to the religious leaders and they reported everything that had happened. The earthquake, the angel, the empty tomb. Now these religious leaders, these were the chief priests. These were the men who only you know, a couple of days earlier, as Jesus had hung from the cross, had said, well, he's the king of Israel. Let him come down from the cross and we will believe in him. That's what they said, remember? Jesus had once said that even if a man should rise from the dead, they would not believe. And confronted with the evidence of the resurrection, in verse 12, they resorted to bribery. They bribed the soldiers to lie. This is what they said. They said, look, just go and tell people that you, know, that you fell asleep and the disciples came and they stole the body while you were asleep. Just tell them that. Uh, but friends, for Roman soldiers to admit that they fell asleep on the job uh, would be suicidal to admit to that. But the chief priests were told, greased their hands with filthy lucre and promised to keep Pilate off their backs. It's a crazy lie. It's an absurd lie because in the Roman Empire... Robbing graves was a very serious offence. And if the authorities had one scrap of evidence that the disciples had stolen the body, they would have been arrested. There's no doubt about that. The eyewitness account of Roman soldiers would have been strong evidence to convict. But then again, if the soldiers were asleep, how did they know? How could they be a witness that the disciples had stolen the body? Some people still say this today. Others say that he didn't really die, that he just passed out, regained consciousness, rolled the stone away and so on. They dismissed the eyewitness accounts 
as an excuse for themselves to not follow Jesus. Because if Jesus has indeed risen from the dead, then that changes everything. If Jesus has risen from the dead, then it means everything he said about himself is true, that he is Lord, that he is ruler. If Jesus has risen from the dead, then he needs to be my Lord, that I need to actually submit my life to him, to live for him, to love him and to obey him. If Jesus has been risen from the dead, then I cannot keep on living my life ignoring God, living my life my way. I need to repent. I need to turn back to him. And so, to avoid that responsibility, people deny and set aside the evidence that the Bible gives of the resurrection. And the Bible is concerned to prove that the resurrection did happen. In passages like in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the Apostle Paul, uh, speaking about the resurrection, says that after Christ was raised from the dead, that he appeared first of all to the, to the, the women and to the eleven, and then he appeared over a time to, to many people, uh, that he appeared to over 500 people on one day, people who saw Jesus, the resurrected Jesus. And Paul says, look, at the time that some of them were still alive when he was writing that letter, he says, you can go and talk to them if you want, um, if you want the proof. And Paul was able to say that even he had met the resurrected Jesus. The Bible is concerned to prove the resurrection, but the issue here for us today is that the resurrection of Jesus itself is proof of another issue. And that is that it is proof of the other big event of Easter. On Friday, we learnt about the meaning of Christ's death. And that is that when Jesus died on the cross, that the debt that we owed to God for our sin, the judgment which was rightfully ours was paid by Jesus. Now think about it this way. If, if someone owed you a great debt, sorry, if you owed somebody else a great debt, but someone else promised that they had paid for that debt on your behalf, you'd probably like to see some proof of that, wouldn't you? A document, a receipt, something that proves that the debt has been paid. Now, someone might say, well, why should I believe that the death of a Jewish man 2,000 years ago on the other side of the world, why should I believe that, 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 uh, that his death can pay for my sins now here in Port Macquarie in April 2015? How can I know for sure that his death on the cross has done that? Where's the proof? And the Bible says the proof, well, the proof is that the hand of God reached down into that cold Judean tomb. That the moment of resurrection came, that he appeared to the women, to the other disciples and to hundreds of people, and that he ascended into heaven. The proof that the payment is, has already been paid, the proof is that because of the resurrection, we see that he no longer needs to be punished. 
that because he is God the Son, that his sacrifice is of such magnitude, which we cannot comprehend, that the resurrection of Jesus to life means that the days of judgment, the days of separation from the Father, the days of bearing the penalty for our sin are over. It's enough because the debt has been paid. And so Jesus no longer needs to be suffering separation from the Father. Jesus is now alive. So the resurrection is the proof that the debt has been paid in full. No more punishment needs to be suffered by Jesus. Easter Sunday proves Good Friday. And it means that, friends, we can trust that his death has paid for our sin. We need to repent, though. We need to put our trust and we need to turn back to Jesus. But it proves even more than that. You see, in John chapter 14, when Jesus was preparing his disciples for the reality that he would soon die, he told them that he would go to be with his Father in heaven and that he would prepare a place for them to take them to be with himself. So many people live their lives paying scant regard to God, not trusting in Jesus' death and facing certain judgment. Friends, the penalty for sin is death, eternal separation from God our creator in hell, but because the penalty for sin has now been paid, then what has happened to death? It's actually been defeated. Death has lost its sting. We die physically, but we do not face the second death, which is eternal separation from God in hell. The resurrection of Jesus is the proof that what is now on offer is life, eternal life, with God the Father in heaven. And so he invites each one of us, he invites you, to put your trust that Jesus has paid for your sins and to turn back to him, to turn around your life, to hand your life over to him with gratitude and to join him in life forever in heaven. And so have you trusted Jesus? If not, I want to suggest to you that this is an urgent matter which you need to sort out. It needs to be sorted out sooner rather than later. And it's something that I'd be happy to chat with you about or Peter or other people here in the church would be more than happy to talk, with you, talk it through with you. But you may want to be thinking about it in a more private way and uh, to that end there is some literature which is available at the morning tea today outside, uh, some booklets, um, pamphlets that you can pick up and take home and read at your uh, convenience. But you must sort out this matter because it is one which affects your eternal existence. If Jesus has risen from the dead, then we cannot simply eat, drink and be merry 
uh, with the expectation that tomorrow we die and that's it, it's all over. The promise of Jesus is clear and I've printed that promise for you on your service sheets. You might want to have a look at this and think about it. This is the promise which Jesus himself made when he said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Well, I'm going to leave us in prayer as we think through that issue. Father, we want to thank you for uh, what you've shown us in the scriptures. We thank you for sending your own son, Jesus, that he was obedient to you even unto death on a cross. Father, we thank you that his death has indeed been sufficient to pay the penalty for what we owed to you, for all of our rebellious nature and our sinful activity. We thank you that his death has paid the penalty for that. We thank you that we can know that because the punishment is over, that he has now been resurrected to life. And we thank you that because he is resurrected to life, that death has now lost its power over us. Uh, judgment is no longer upon us if we are people who indeed trust in Jesus and turn back to you. And so we pray for each one of us here, no matter where we're at in our thinking, that we would be people who would be people who are putting our trust in you and enjoying that life that is eternal in your heaven. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.